following is a message from Living Waters Church in Elk River, Minnesota. For more information, visit livingwatersmn.org. Are, uh, I feel like the word that I'm going to bring is, is really right in line with where we've been in our time of worship. We are focusing on a heart of worship, um, kind of because we didn't know what else to call it, really. Uh, so we grabbed something, a, a phrase, but, but I really believe that there is something that the Lord is wanting to reveal to us beyond even the words that we use to describe worship, beyond the things that we do and say, I believe he's bringing us a a revelation and by his spirit, he's shifting some things on the inside of us as it relates to how we view worship, what we consider to be worship, what we think the purpose of worship is, uh, what we think it looks like. And he is enlarging us in this. He's enlarging not only our ability to uh, have revelation of it or to understand, but I hope I hope it goes beyond what we can understand, and he enlarges us that we could experience the communion with God in worship in a way that we never have. That's what's in my heart. I don't, don't, when we we look at the different focuses that we're going to have for our Sunday mornings, I don't consult the what should Christians talk about list and decide, oh, we're going to talk about this, it seems right. There's something of an invitation of the Lord to us in this area of worship. And so for me, I go, can we, we're just going to go after it until we feel like he, he says, okay, good, now, now let's do this. <laughs> so that's what we're going after right now. One of the things that uh, I began to think about this week is um, this, I began to feel this sense of sometimes when we go, okay, we're going to talk about worship, and, and there can be this, this feeling like, so, so we're just going to focus on like everybody just singing to God and, 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 and worshiping Him, but what are we going to do? Like, isn't, isn't there, like, isn't the church, I mean, look at everything that's going on in the world. What are we going to do about that? Why, why are we just sitting here thinking about worship? And I think about the story of the woman with the alabaster bottle, where there was, again, this sense of the need is great. How could you waste that on worship? That we can sometimes have that mentality of we need to be doing, we need to be, there's, there's works that are prepared for us beforehand to do. We need to be about the works. Talk about the works. And we do. We do talk about the works. We recognize that, that the, the body of Christ is meant to be active on the earth, bringing kingdom to every aspect of our world, that that is the commission of God. But there is something in me that knows that the doorway to everything we want to see out there is worship, <laughs> The doorway of all the works of God that we want that have been prepared beforehand for us comes from the place of a fully surrendered life to him and an acknowledgement and a a revelation of who he is. 
And I think that the activity of, of the Christian life sometimes can come purely out of works. It may have started in worship, but we begin to just move along in the works of God, and we forget the one that we're serving, and the reason that we're doing the works is because of worship for the sake of his glory. And so I want to talk about the fact that it is worship that results in the works of God. But that there's something that we have to get before we get anything else, and that is this revelation of how amazing and worthy he is. There are, there are aspects of him that, that just li- little realities or, or a truth of scripture about who he is that I can just glance over and go, yes, God is that. But lately, there has been something where his desire is to get that reality deep down on the inside of me. And I just sit in that reality of, of truth, of who he is. And he's wanting to uh, solidify some things in us about who our God is. So it's important for us to be able to not move past the concept of worship as if it is one of the things in the Christian life. It is the thing of Christian life. Every other aspect of Christian life comes out of worship. And I'm not talking about, we've been trying to define worship, not so much just about the songs that we sing, but out of this posture that Dan talked about when he brought a tremendous word again. If you haven't heard it, or if you've only heard it once, go hear it again, because there's a tremendous uh, invitation in it. But this, this reality that worship is a surrender and a yielding to who God is. And yet there's this part of it that I go, we need to really know who he is. There's some of you that have real issues. I, I will. I'll drink it. Thanks. There's some of you that have real issues and real, um, you're dealing with some real trials and, and there's part of you that maybe goes, could we, like, could we talk about this thing that I'm dealing with in my life? Can we talk about this? Can we talk about this thing that's going on in the world? And I need you to understand that having a high view of God is the solution for pretty much every problem in your life. That having a high view of God is what is going to actually uh, empower and activate the body of Christ to be who she's meant to be on the earth. That is why I want to sit in that place in my own personal time with the Lord and here and let him elevate my view of who he is. How we view God is so important to everything else. Do you know that how I view God affects how I read scripture? So we can say that the, you know, the Christian life is more than just worship. It's yes, true. But if I don't have a high view of who he is, if I don't have a revelation, what does this even mean to me? How, how is this even precious to me if it wasn't brought to me by a God who is above and over all things? 
So how we view God is so important. There is a problem in the church today that we've come to have a small view of God. We've come to, to kind of relegate him and his ways to another kind of self-help method. We've come to view him too small. And he's coming to restore to us the awe and the wonder and the reality of who he is. He wants to come and blow our minds. When we have a small view of God, we begin to believe that he was created for us. To meet our needs and to do our will. None of us would say that. But there is a place of our, in our thinking that begins to think that way. When we have a small view of God, that's where we can make statements like, well, if God, I was God, I wouldn't, blah, blah, blah. I've said that. We begin to judge God. We begin to judge what he's doing on the earth. Why isn't he? How come he? And I'm not saying it's wrong to ask those questions, but we better land in the right place. <laughs> when we ask those questions. For me, it betrays a very small view of God in me, as if my wisdom could match his, as if my goodness could match his, as if my kindness and compassion for other people somehow outranks his. We need to have the proper view of God. And worship puts things in proper perspective. A.W. Tozer said, what comes into our minds when we think about God is of the utmost importance. Or it's the most important thing. It's worship that transforms us by the renewing of our minds. Yes, singing songs that declare who he is, but worshiping through his word and declaring his word and worshiping through a surrendered humility to him that says, you are God and I am not. Oh, what a relief that is. <laughs> I mean, for all of you that I'm not God, but for all of us to come to that place where we're wrestling through all these things that are happening in our lives and on the, and if, and God should, and here's, so I'm going to pray this and I'm going to, you are God and I am not. What a tremendous relief that is today. What a tremendous relief it was to lay it all down today. Sometimes when we think, I'm going to lay it all down, we think, I'm going to lay sin down, and I'm going to lay, um, you know, my desires, or, and that's all good. But to, like, even lay down the way that God wants to work out his will. Worship keeps us in the place where our works in his name come from the place of his will. Because it's a place of complete surrender to him. Here's, here's a, a couple of places where we see the revelation of who God is and the effect of it. Isaiah chapter 6, verse 1. This is Isaiah. 
That one's an easy one. His name is right there. (laughs) He says, In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting on a throne, lofty and exalted, with the train of his robe filling the temple. Here's, I want to stop right there because we have these, these um, nothing in scripture is accidental. And we have these things we, we pass by. I saw the Lord seated on the throne and the train, and we pass by in the year that King Uzziah died. That is a weighted statement. That's not a historical marker. And the reason that's a weighted statement is because King Uzziah was a good king. He was a righteous king. And good things were happening in the land in his reign. For 52 years, they had experienced the goodness of God because they had a good king. And when he died, it all went to pot. Is that a, can I say that? When King Uzziah died, it changed. The circumstances changed, and now people are no longer trusting the Lord and idolatry and all kinds of craziness. It's Jerry Springer in the palace, and it's, it's a mess. And they've gone through this over and over again. Good king, bad king, bad, 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 good. Bad, bad. We named Josiah because he's one of the good kings. I mean, in other things, but. But this statement in the year of King Uzziah's death, meaning at the end of what seemed good and now things are bad. I saw the Lord sitting on the throne, lofty and exalted with the train of his robe, filling the temple. Seraphim stood above him, each having six wings. With two he covered his face, with two he covered his feet, and with two he flew. And one called out to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory." And the foundations of the thresholds trembled at the voice of him who called out while the temple was filling up with smoke. Then I said, woe is me for I am ruined because I'm a man of unclean lips and I have lived among a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. We're going to continue reading in a minute. But this is important to recognize that the Lord opened up the heavens to Isaiah to show him in this worst possible time. I am on the throne. And I am holy. And the whole earth is filled with my glory. Do you know that is not a a, a future statement. (laughs) That is... And someday, Isaiah, the whole earth will be filled with my glory. This was, he was opening up truth to him and reality to him and saying, my glory is at work all over the earth. Even with your bad king, who's defacing and defaming the name of God. And, and we, we need to have the heavens opened for us to see this reality. 
because we can be so hot and cold and so up and down based on what is going on and who's, who's leading, honestly. Because it does matter. It does affect what's going on on the earth. God gave that to man. There is an authority. And yet we need to recognize this authority and this reality. We need to have this revealed to us. And here's Isaiah, who honestly, I mean, there's really no dirt about him in the Bible. It's not like David. Isaiah was a good man. Isaiah was a man who heard the Lord and he obeyed. He even had some favor among the people. He wasn't like Jeremiah, who nobody listened to. But by the way, he was still right, Jeremiah. He was still a true prophet. But Isaiah, Isaiah, who really, he's a pretty good guy, and he sees the Lord revealed in his holiness, and he hits the deck and he says, I am unclean. I'm a man of unclean lips. Woe is me. There is a fear of the Lord that comes when we see the beauty and the holiness of him. But it's not a fear of punishment. It's not a fear of of wrath against us. It's a fear of ever having to be separated from that presence. There is something in me in these encounters of, in worship that, that as I'm beholding the greatness of who he is and he's just opening that up to me, the reality of the depth of his love and his goodness and his mercy and how unsearchable his ways are and, and it's just exploding on the inside of me. There is a fear of the Lord that comes in and says, I can't be without this. I can't be without this. You, you made me to live in this. Have you ever felt that as the Lord's revealing himself to you? This reality, I was made for this. He says, I'm a man of unclean lips and I have been among people of unclean lips. How many of us are living among people of unclean lips? I'm not talking about your family, maybe. But we're living amongst, and there's this part of us that goes, ah, this is not what I was made for. This is what I was made for. And I'm made to bring this here. (laughs) There's a revelation that comes through worship that transforms us. There's a revelation that comes through worship that that brings us to repentance to say, take everything that would separate me from this presence, take it all, because I was made for this presence. Uh, Beth Craft, I think, spoke on at the last well about joyful repentance. There is a joy. In, in repenting before the Lord when we see his holiness and recognizing, oh, I, I don't want to be separated from that. There's a joy in repentance. There might be a lot of tears and snot, but it's joyful. The revelation, not just that, that he's holy and I am not, but that he has a way 
He has a way for me to come into that space with him. Even here, he says, I, I, I've, I'm ruined because I'm a man of unclean lips. And, and then one of the seraphim flew and, and touched his lips. Behold, this is touch your lips and your iniquity is taken away and your sin is forgiven. And how much more do we know the way in Christ that we can come into his presence so there's a revelation that brings transformation in us. There's a revelation. As, as Isaiah is starting this encounter, he thinks the most powerful thing in his life is who's on the throne in his kingdom. He thinks the most powerful thing is the wickedness of that leadership. And then something happens where he realizes that's not the most powerful thing. That's what worship does for us. That's what the revelation of who God is does for us. It causes the things that are trying to masquerade as the most powerful thing in our life to have to bow before the reality of his power. What a gift that was to us today. Right now, think about what you think is the most powerful thing in your life. And don't do, do the holy Christian-y answer because you know what we're looking for. But that, that you walk around going, oh, this is the most powerful thing in my life right now. It might be your toddler. Just saying. It might be your teenager. It might be uh, a health issue, your financial issues, things you're dealing with in mental health, anxiety or depression, or it might be a loss that you've had or, or um, a relationship that's broken. There is a place that he wants to show us the reality of who he is so that we can position ourselves in surrender, not to the thing that feels like the most powerful thing in our life right now, but to the reality that he is the most powerful thing in our life. He, not just in our life. That's another thing we have trouble with. Well, sure, he's powerful in the lives of Christians, but he's powerless out there. Not true. All the earth is filled with his glory. There's numerous places in scripture that we're not going to go to today but numerous places where he peels back and says, here's the reality of where things sit. That's what we do in worship. We enthrone him, not because he isn't enthroned unless we do it, <laughs> but we yield to him as the most powerful. That's where surrendering to his will comes in so that the works that we do are actually the will of God. The work of the Holy Spirit is to move through us in power, in the gifts of the Spirit. But the first work of the Holy Spirit is to reveal this to us, the reality of the Lordship of Jesus, of his power, of his strength, of his beauty, of his exceeding goodness. 
And when the works that we do come from that place, they're not motivated by what we should do. They're not motivated by the list of Christian activity. They're not motivated by the needs that are around us. They're motivated by the desire to see the glory of God. What sometimes happens is we have very strongly in us a desire for the good of man. And God desires that, but he knows a secret. It's not a secret, actually. (laughs) It's that the glory of God is for the good of man. His lordship is for the good of man. And we need to have these two things positioned correctly in our lives. When we have in us, when we look out and we see all that's going on and the needs or our own needs screaming at us, and we begin to position ourselves to do the works of God for the good of man first, that's where we have seen the church begin to separate And they've begun to say, I don't think that the glory of God is for the good of man. I weep over that in the church. Not this church necessarily, but I weep over that. Even in my own self, where I have been focused and pursuing the good of man for the sake of God, but it has to come glory of God first. There's a positioning in worship that says, it's all for the glory of God because I know that the glory of God is the good of man. He's positioning us. It's not taking a big adjustment. It's just a little tweak. (laughs) Because we know his heart is for the good of man. We just sometimes forget how it is that we get there. We sometimes think that we have a way that he hasn't thought of. The natural result of positioning our life in worship is obedience. Let's look at this encounter with Isaiah. So there's this revelation God wants to give us in worship of the where we see the uncovering of the reality of who God is and how big he is. And then out of that revelation comes this transformation through repentance and through consecration. We see Isaiah becomes transformed. He recognizes what is unclean in him. And then through the presence of God, It brings transformation. It says, your iniquity is taken away. Your sin is forgiven. It it transforms who he is. And then Isaiah says, then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, whom shall I send and who will go for us? And then I said, here I am, send me. Worship that comes out of this revelation And then this transformation brings an activation of the body from the right place. (laughs) That that it wasn't just, okay, I'll go. It's because he saw the holiness of God. 
And his response was, I will go send me. Do you know that it didn't say, okay, wait, here's what I need you to do. and let, tell, me, tell me what the job description is and I'll let you know if I'm going to go. I, I don't know if that fits with my like, individual sense of purpose and destiny. And it really has been how we've kind of come to be about the things of God and obedience to the Lord. Do you know, even there's, there's been something in me, because it seems good and right, that has said, I want to do great things for God. This, I want to do great things for God, this, this desire. And I realized he's asking me to just do my assignment. Because when I say, I want to do great things for God, I, I envision what that looks like. And, and I begin to fashion. I go, that's not a great thing. That's not a great thing. This is a great thing. But there's something in me that, like Isaiah, without even hearing what, what is the assignment, he goes, send me. The revelation that comes through worship and the transformation that comes through worship brings a consecration that activates us not to say, I want to do great things for God, but I just want to do my assignment. What are you asking me to do? It might be really small in your eyes, but it's for the sake of a really big God. Amen? Let's stand. Father, we thank you for this invitation that you have been giving to the body of Christ uniquely in this hour. A unique invitation to have revelation of the glory of God. To have revelation of how amazing you are. I ask that you would even throughout this week show us in scripture these moments where you revealed yourself and man could barely find words to try to describe how amazing you are and how powerful and how full of light and how full of goodness and how full of love. We don't need a God that we can understand or describe. God, we want to see the fullness of who you are, recognizing we can't even handle your fullness. (laughs) But we continue to give ourselves to this invitation that you're giving us. We continue to say yes, that we will explore and have our eyes open. We ask that you would open our eyes, that we would see you. That we would just for a minute set aside works to the good of man and focus on the glory of God. Holy Spirit, do that work in us. You are the one that can open our eyes. I pray that the the weightiness of who you are, the enormity of your love and your joy and your mercy and your goodness would uh, just crash into our normal lives. We yield to that. We say yes to that. 
And we say, we know that the glory of God is the good of man. Give us the ability to surrender to that in every aspect of our life. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to this week's message. To learn more about us, please visit livingwatersmn.org. Thank you.